0: Welcome to Love Letters from Jesus, a podcast that brings you the Sermon of the Week with your host, Pastor Ted Bojanic. Hello and welcome to another edition of Love Letters from Jesus. I am your host, Pastor Ted Bojanik. It's an honor to have you tuning in to listen yet again. Today I'd like to discuss with you a little bit of Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is a beautiful psalm. It's 14 verses long, so it doesn't take very long to read. And it goes from the natural knowledge of God in the very beginning, talking about the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard, Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. It begins like this that nothing in all creation isn't touched by the glory of God. All you have to do is look around at his creation. It all declares the glory of God. You don't need a language to understand it because everything he created. Is declaring his glory the sky the sunrise the sunset if you're at the beach the ocean if you're in the forest the trees everything is declaring the glory of God and he goes on in the heavens he has pitched a tent for the Sun which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion like a champion rejoicing to run his course it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other nothing is hidden from its heat now david here is a david, david here is a desert dweller so he knows well about nothing being hidden from the heat of the desert sun. Everything is touched by the sun. There's very little shade in the desert. But on a hot summer day anywhere, we all know that. We all understand that. Doesn't matter where you live in that case. So the natural knowledge of God, go outside into God's creation and everything he has has created declares his glory and it declares to us, God made this. This didn't happen by accident. This didn't happen by an explosion in outer space. This is organized. This was put together on purpose. This was put together in an orderly way to sustain life and to take care of all the creatures that depend on the way this earth is organized. And then David, being led by the Holy Spirit to write these things, he begins talking about the law of God and he uses he he uses different terms to talk about what we would call the word of God he uses the law he goes on and uses the statutes the precepts the commands the ordinances but it's all referring to the word of God both Law, which tells us what to do and what not to do. The law, which shows us our sins. And the gospel, which shows us our Savior. So he means this in the widest sense. The whole body of God's word is being referred to here. So in verse 7, he goes on, changing from what he was initially speaking of, how you can see God in his handiwork and say, there is a God, but then he's going to change and say, but you need, excuse me, you need God's word to really know what God's thinking. Trees and nature and birds are wonderful and God made them, but they can't tell you what God's thinking. They can't tell you his rules for living in his world. They can tell you there is a God and you are accountable to him, but then you need his word to tell you what God wants you to know. That there is a God and you are accountable to him and that he has laws that he wants you to obey, and rules that he wants you to live by. And though we break his rules and we sin, breaking his heart and disappointing him and offending him, and that we do not deserve to be forgiven, yet he forgives us all of our sins. God, the mighty King, the creator of everything, forgives us all of our sins because he is merciful, loving, and kind. And he sends his son. In the Old Testament, they called him the Messiah. In the New Testament, we called him the Christ. Jesus who's coming and came. The Old Testament people always looked at him as coming, looked at him as the one who would come. In the New Testament, we look at him as the one who came. Who came and took away the sin of the world. And all the way through the next verses, every time the word Lord is used, it is used in... The word Lord is capitalized. All the letters are capitalized. And that is an indication that the word in the original Hebrew is the word Yahweh, the God of free and faithful grace. Grace is God's undeserved love given to sinners. God of love. This is God's Old Testament salvation name the God who saves me from my sins, the God who lavishes his mercy and forgiveness on me, who picks me up when I'm drowning in the depths of sin and pulls me out of that sin, washes me clean and takes me to himself. So in verse 7, David goes on, The law of the Lord, the God of free and faithful grace, is perfect, reviving the soul. And David would know all about that because David needed his soul revived. Though he was king of Israel, he was a sinful man just as we all are, sinful men and sinful women. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Reviving the soul. Only God's word can really revive your soul. You think of all the difficulties going on in the world right now, right? Things that would make you upset, make you want to sin, perhaps. Maybe you can't find baby food because it's not on the shelf. There are people literally driving across the border to Mexico to go find it, because there's plenty down there. Maybe you don't live in a place where you can do that. So your baby's crying. The gas costs too much to go anywhere. There's the possibility of rolling blackouts this summer. So your electric may go off and that means your house will be hot. What a difficult time in our nation. Yet God says to us to trust him. When things are difficult, he says we should trust him, doesn't he? Not to despair, but to trust. It is God who revives us at these times when we feel crushed and we need to be revived. It is God who revives us. It is God who sustains our life in this world. He knows how to feed our baby. He knows how to support us so that we have the money to house our children so that we have the money to fill our gas tank and to do the things we need to do. It is God who calls on us to trust in him. He is the one reviving our soul by the power of the Holy Spirit working through the word. David goes on, The statutes of the Lord, the God of free and faithful grace, the God who sends Jesus to us, are trustworthy. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. God isn't going back on his word. He promised even way back in the Psalms here, a savior from sin would come, that we would not live forever in this troubled world, but a savior from sin would come. His statutes are trustworthy. We're not going to find out. They're fake. world is full. The world is full of fake news. Broken promises, God's promises, God's statutes are not among those. The God of free and faithful grace, the Lord of heaven and earth, who created all things, who sent his own son, Jesus Christ, into the world, he's trustworthy. It is this God who makes the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. We know what radiant is. We know what radiant is the sun comes up with its great radiance it shines brightly in the morning maybe blinding you as you drive to work that's radiant here david tells us the god of free and faithful grace his commands are radiant the fear of the lord is pure and enduring forever to reverence your god not to be afraid of him like you're hiding under a rock But to fear your God with reverence, you honor him, you respect him, that is, you trust him, that he will not not leave you or abandon you, but you can trust him with all your heart. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Our God is a holy God, and his word is a holy word, and he speaks to us, things that are true so we trust him they are more precious than gold much pure gold they are sweeter than honey honey from the comb the honey inside the comb is the sweetest honey there is we don't usually get a taste of that because they don't usually sell that in the store But the honey in the comb, if you want to fight off all the bees, that's the sweetest there is. If you raise bees and you have a chance to have an opportunity to have some of that honey, that's the sweetest there is. And so therefore, David here is saying, God's word is that sweet. In fact, it's sweeter because it's God's word that delights us with the gospel and tells us, We are forgiven of all of our sins. But one day we'll be with him in heaven, and all these worries of life will be gone. All the fears that fill our heart will be gone, and we will enjoy the peace of God forever in heaven. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them, there is great re- reward. So the law of God warns us and guides us so that we stay out of trouble. And by keeping the word of God, and walking our life according to the word of God, there is great reward. We don't get into trouble. We avoid sin. And all the illness that might come because of sin, all the trouble or legal hassles that come because you disobey God and get into legal troubles because of sin. Right, keeping God first in your life and not offending our God and then treating your neighbor as you would want to be treated, loving one another as You love yourself, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And then these verses that we want to concentrate on a bit here. Verse 12, he says, who can discern his errors? We have sins that we are ignorant of. We sin, and we hurt other people's feelings, and we don't even know we've done it. Who can discern his errors, David says. We sin at times in ignorance. We don't even know we have done it. It's like stepping on somebody's foot in the dark and you don't even know what you stepped on. If the person doesn't say, ouch, you don't know what you stepped on. You don't know that you hurt them. Well, we can sin in much worse ways and really hurt people. Maybe by saying things we shouldn't be saying and we hurt them that way with our words. Many times it's with our words that we hurt people. Who can discern his errors, David says. then he prays, forgive my hidden faults. Forgive the sins, dear Lord, that I don't even know about myself. He's repenting here of the sins that he doesn't even know about himself. That's a good prayer. It's one we should adopt. And then verse 13, so important. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Keep your servant from willful sins. Willful sins are the ones that they are not sins of weakness, necessarily. The sin of weakness is one where we kind of cave in to pressure. We backslide and do something that, no, we know it's wrong. We kind of backslide because temptation got too strong for us. But a willful sin is we boldly decide that we're going to go and get ourselves into trouble. We boldly decide we're going to go do this, whatever it is. Um, Be immoral. Go sin sexually. Go be greedy and steal money. Go and sin in whatever way. And you're not sorry. You don't care. That is a willful sin. It's like when King David took the wife of Uriah the Hittite, he didn't care. He ordered the woman to be brought to him. He knew he was doing wrong. And for a whole year, he didn't repent. He took the woman for himself. And he ordered that Uriah the Hittite be put in the front line of the battle. And he used the sword of the enemy to kill him. So David was guilty of murder and guilty of adultery. And for a year he lived this way, and it wasn't a happy time. God placed his hand heavy upon David. Psalm 51 really tells you how David felt inside, if you want to read that sometime. And... Finally, God led him to repentance, didn't he? He sent the prophet Nathan to him to call him to repentance. And David did repent. But there would be consequences for his sin. The baby that was conceived inside of Bathsheba would die as a consequence of their sin. But God would forgive David for his sin but he would live with the consequences for the rest of his life. So David writes here, a really good prayer. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. This too is a wonderful prayer, lest we get ourselves into a lot of trouble and fall away from the Lord. David almost lost his faith in the Lord over this. And God interceded to lead him back to repentance. God never winked at his sin and said, hey, that's okay. No, God led him to repentance. God will not put up with sin. And then later on, David writes, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Words that you would almost expect to find in the New Testament, calling the Lord, who is the God of free and faithful grace, the Savior God, my rock the one I build my life on, and my Redeemer, the one who buys me back from sin and from the waywardness of a sinful life. That's referring to Christ, the Messiah, who would come in the New Testament time, or for us New Testament Christians, who has come and who has taken away all of our sins. A verse which really sounds very similar to this from Psalm 51 I want to share with you here that David also wrote, is this, Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Our sins can be so big, but God's forgiveness is always bigger. So when we are convinced in our own mind or the devil is biting on us and whispering in our ear that God will, God won't forgive you this time. You know he's a liar. That's his native language. The truth is, God is the God of forgiveness. The God of free and faithful grace calls you with open arms to return to him and to confess your sins to him. And he has enough grace to forgive you each time, to repent, to change your ways and to give you peace because he forgives you all of your sins and gives you eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not by what you do, but through faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done for you. And that, my friends, is how we are saved. Jesus' blood shed for you has cleansed you from all sin and guilt and shame. Indeed, you are saved through Jesus, who has done all of this and then risen from the dead to give us all eternal life. He has risen from the dead to be our best friend and to shepherd us. That is our Bible study for today. I want to... Tell you that the sermon is coming up next, and the sermon that you're going to hear today is a sermon that I preached back on May 29th, and it is a sermon text of Acts chapter one, verses four to eleven, and. It is a Ascension Day sermon with the theme of, You Will Be My Witnesses. So, I hope you will stick around and let the sermon, the Word of God and the sermon inspire you as well. The Lord be with you and grant you a wonderful week. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Love Letters from Jesus. and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God for our consideration today is taken from Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. These are God's words. Saying, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses. It's time to work. The resurrection of Jesus on that first Easter morning was shocking. And for some who were in denial because of their sadness from Good Friday, it was more than they could bear. When the women came from the tomb saying, He has risen. We have seen a vision of angels. And then Jesus later had to come and appear among them in that room that they would not leave. And he was physically there. And he brought them his peace. Peace be with you. And he ate some of their food so that they could see he was physically there. And then later on, Thomas spewed his doubts And Jesus accommodated him. And he appeared and he invited him to see and to touch, to thrust his hand into his side. And Thomas had to fall on his knees and admit, my Lord and my God. Thomas, you believe because you have seen. But more blessed are those that believe without seeing. Yes, the 40 days after Easter, the disciples had been through so much. It was an emotional and spiritual roller coaster. Jesus wasn't with them every day as he had been in the past, but he was with them. They saw him, they spent time with him. They met him in Galilee to be reinstated, especially Peter. Because remember on that Thursday night of Holy Week when Jesus was captured in the Garden of Gethsemane, they had all fled away. The attrition rate was 100%. They all ran away. And Peter denied him three times. I don't know the man. And he went out and he wept. But at that breakfast meeting in Galilee, when Peter had said, let's go fishing. And they all fished all night and caught nothing. And Jesus was there early in the morning as the sun was rising. And he had a bed of coals with fish on it. He invited them to throw their net on the other side. And they caught fish. And they said, it is the Lord. And then they met him on the beach and he said, bring some of the fish you just caught. And they cooked fish and he had bread and they had breakfast together and it was a joyous time. And then really he reinstated all of them. He let them know all of them are forgiven for running away. And especially Peter. That section of scripture focuses on Jesus and Peter. When Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Preach the gospel. Come follow me. You must follow me. How quickly, really, those 40 days went. So much happened. They met on some unknown mountaintop in Galilee for Jesus to declare to them those words at the end of Matthew's gospel that we know as the Great Commission, where he told them what to do. We don't know where that took place. We just know it was in Galilee. And Jesus told them to baptize everyone. All nations. And to teach. The two go together. You see, and there's no age limit. I don't know how many times people have Told me, I don't know where they got the idea from. Sometimes churches give false information other denominations that only little kids can be baptized. But there's no age limit in the chapter in Matthew. Jesus said, Baptize all nations and teach them everything I have commanded you. Baptize and teach. That's what they were to do. Wash away their sins. And then fill them up to overflowing with the word of God. I remember one time in Phoenix. And I had had this ongoing conversation with this family about baptism. I, and the whole conversation was in Spanish. They came and when you invite a Hispanic family to come for the baptism training they they bring everybody they know there's probably 30 people in the room and we were baptizing one baby you know they brought the parents were there and they brought the aunts and the uncles and grandparents on both sides. I wasn't sure who was who. The room was full. And so I explained everything about baptism. And then I talked about adult baptism and their eyes opened wide. And they're like, that's possible? You can be baptized as an adult? We didn't know that. And then this conversation went back and forth like these very macho Mexican men wearing cowboy hats started having this conversation about how they had never been baptized as children. So, then on the day of that baptism, the father of the boy to be baptized took off his cowboy hat and whispers in my ear, um, this was a guy who was, he was a tough guy. He's just dripping muchismo kind of guy. So this was, I mean, he had to really go home and work himself up for this. Whispers in my ear, baptize me too. I don't think anybody they invited expected this was going to happen. It was something he decided at the moment. Because all the women folk seemed shocked. and uh, so we baptized the baby that we had planned on and then he put his head over the dish and i baptized him and i heard gasps of air coming from every part of the church but baptisms for everyone human beings may have all kinds of weird ideas but Jesus was clear Baptize and teach Baptize and teach It was simple See? And then The 40 days were over And he was eating with them Apparently On the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem And as he gave them These last instructions Do not leave Jerusalem But wait for the gift my father's going to give you you, you John baptized with water in a few days 10 to be exact you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit see John's baptism was for the forgiveness of sins it didn't include it did not include the Holy Spirit but from now on the baptism they would be working with would include receiving the Holy Spirit baptism would change Baptism would change. They would receive the Holy Spirit. And he tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. What do witnesses do? They tell what they see and what they hear. He tells them, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what they did. They went wherever Jesus sent them to begin churches, to make more Christians. Because the old temple worship was going to be obsolete. The new church, Christian church, Was going to be the way God was going to operate Then after this He began to ascend They looked intently into the sky Until the clouds hid him from their eyes They didn't see the resurrection But they saw the ascension Stood there looking into the sky and suddenly two men in white angels in human form were there with them. A holy reminder of what needed to happen next. They had a simple message from God. Men of Galilee why do you stand here looking into the sky this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus will come back. He will come back to take you to heaven, to take you to the place that he has prepared for you. Jesus himself tells us in the book of Revelation, that when he comes back, every eye will see him. He tells Christians not to worry about that day, but the rest of the world's going to mourn because they have no faith. But you, Christian, lift up your head and rejoice on that day. But until that day, you too are witnesses. You're a little different kind of witness because... You weren't working directly with Jesus. I haven't worked directly with Jesus, but your testimony is valid because you believe in Him through the work of the apostles, through the work of the prophets. You know the scriptures, and you declare what you have witnessed through their eyes and through their writings, and you share it with the world. When those women and those apostles looked into the empty sepulchre, the empty grave of Christ, they were witnesses for you. So that you could declare the graves empty. When they beheld the cross of Jesus and Him dying on it, they witnessed it for you. So that you could declare to the world Jesus died on the cross. To take away your sins. You are witnesses of these things. You are valid witnesses of these things through what they have testified to. When they recorded the words of Jesus and his discourses in the book of John, and you read the words of Jesus there when he says, I am the good shepherd. You are witnesses of those words. You are hearing him speak. You sit at the feet of the Lord himself every time you open the Bible and let God speak to you. You are hearing him speak. You testify of these things. And you share them with others. When God says in the book of Hebrews that he will never leave you or forsake you, And you comfort someone with those words who is really hurting and wonders, where is God in my life? Because I've got these tragedies going on in my life. And you remind them from the book of Hebrews that God has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Or from John chapter 10, where Jesus says, That you have been placed in his hand. And no one can snatch you out of his hand. Not this sinful world. Not the devil. You are safe there. You see? You're witnesses of these things. You have a powerful message to proclaim to a sin-sick and dying world that needs this comfort that needs this comfort. They need to know they are safe. They need to know that God loves them. They need to know that heaven awaits them. Jesus warned us that this world is going to hurt. We are going to hurt in this world. But he has overcome this painful world for us. So we are his witnesses and we have work to do as his witnesses to proclaim the gospel, to free the prisoners from their sin and from their unbelief through the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel will do its work. It will cause the chains of sin to fall off and give freedom to those who have been bound by sin. I remember a day that I was only planning to give an elderly grandmother a simple devotion on baptism because, well, it was fresh in my mind and I was lazy. I didn't want to write another one. I was on the Indian reservation, so I went down to her house by the river And I sat down, I gave her Holy Communion, and I gave her that devotion, and then I was ready to go home and have lunch. I was thinking a lot about lunch. And she said, how would you like to baptize my grandchildren? And then I thought, well, yeah, we could do it this Sunday. And she said, no, right now. Because they're leaving to go back to South Dakota, they're half Sioux Indian and they're half Apache, and if they leave, they won't they won't get baptized. You got to do it right now. I said, "All right, let's do it." Still thinking about lunch because I was hungry, and she lined up eight children in her kitchen. And she got out this giant bread bowl that she made her tortilla dough in. And she filled it with warm water and put it on her kitchen table. It's June. It's hot. There's no cooling in her house. Every window's open. There's flies buzzing around. She lined up these eight kids who were outside playing. And I said, don't you have to tell her mother? And she said, her mother doesn't want them baptized. But you're going to do this because it's a free country and God wants you to. And I said, okay. So I baptized all eight of those kids. And it was just a simple baptism. And uh, she said, their father isn't a Christian. Mom goes to church sometimes. But she belongs to one of those churches that doesn't baptize. I'm the Lutheran. I believe what the Bible says about baptism is true, and I want these kids baptized. And uh, they were baptized. And that was her witness. That was her doing God's will for those children. And she wasn't sure she was going to see them again. Because she wasn't going to go to South Dakota. So that was all part of God's plan for that day. So you never know on a given day how your day is going to go or how you're going to serve God. No no angry people came to my door saying, why did you baptize my children? In fact, I went home and I filled out all eight of those baptism certificates came back and the mother was at the door and I gave them to her and she was okay with it and the grandmother told her what she had done and uh, everybody seemed happy god worked it out god worked it out and we have a god who is amazing If a God who is amazing, he simply says, follow me and baptize and teach. And I will work in their hearts and I will give them faith and I will guide them until life's end. You see, we can't believe for anybody. And we can't make anybody believe. But these are the tools that the Holy Spirit enables us to use. And we have the Holy Spirit just as these men received on Pentecost Day. Remember, the Holy Spirit would come on them and enable them. And we know on that day they spoke different languages to a crowd that was multilingual. But they preached the gospel to them, right? They weren't dancing around and doing weird stuff. They spoke the gospel to them. But we are enabled also to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel. And we have the same tools. To preach the word, to teach the word, and to baptize. Think of what you do in your Sunday school classrooms. You teach the word. It's the same thing these apostles did. In an emergency situation, you baptize. It's the same thing these apostles did. So let us continue to be Christ's witnesses here. That when he does return, he who ascended high, that he would come back and find us faithful. Faithful witnesses. And what? Faithful, Faithfully teaching. Baptizing and teaching His Word while we are here in this world. But just like these angels told the disciples, there's no time for gazing into the sky. There's work to be done. Even here in Fredericksburg, where we have so many steeples, if my teaching time in the public high school has taught me anything, there's a whole lot of people that don't know Jesus right here in this little German town. So friends, we've got some work to do. Let us be witnesses and teach the word. To God be the glory. Amen. The peace of all, the peace of God which goes beyond all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to Love Letters from Jesus. I'm your host, Pastor Ted Bojanik. And I look forward to you listening again. Once again, if you liked our podcast, please give us a five-star review. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Anchor, or Google Podcasts. Look forward to having you listen to us again. Have a great week.